was a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Talk about 
what happened not long ago with the torture incident that we're all filled with in the news. And this is from Strut Online. It's part of the Detroit Free Press. Also under, I think it comes under um, uh, freep.com. And this was April the 12th, 2008. It was written, this is what torture we went shopping. It's well worth reading by Leonard Pitts Jr. It says the Iraqi prison was the epicenter of an international scandal in 2004 when it was revealed that U.S. soldiers were mistreating detainees, forcing them to stand in stress positions, sexually humiliating them, menacing them with dogs, denying them clothes, dragging them on leashes, threatening them with electrocution. All of it was captured in photos that shocked the world. One of the most memorable showed then 21-year-old Amy Private Lindy England, a cigarette poking from an idiotic grin, index fingers caught like guns as she pointed to the genitals of a naked Iraqi man. We stared at those images and asked how this could have been happened, how American soldiers could have become so degraded and undisciplined, could have wandered so far afield from the moorings of simple human decency. Many answers were preferred, mob mentality, dehumanizing conditions, lack of oversight. But as the years have passed, a truer answer has coalesced. Where did these young soldiers get their ideas that the rules were suspended, that free reign was given, that they could do whatever they wanted to the men in custody? It came from the top. The latest proof, a recently declassified 2003 memo from John Yu, Y-O-O, uh, then a Justice Department lawyer, the memo was eventually rescinded by justice, authorized torture as a means of interrogation, a finding that carried the force of law. Much of the media coverage of the 81-page document has focused on the, and this world is unavoidably ironic, bloodless legalese in which you contemplates the permissibility of putting a prisoner's eyes out, slitting his tongue, scalding him with water, dosing him, or with mind-altering drugs, disfiguring him with acid. But what is also appalling is used contention, repeatedly restated in the memo, that the president in times of war, the president in times of war, enjoys virtually unfettered authority over and is account accountable to no one for the treatment of prisoners. Legal scholars have accused you of sloppy reasoning. Eugene Fidel who teaches military justice at Yale and American universities, told the International Herald Tribune the document was a monument to the imperial presidency. You disagrees. He calls the memo a boilerplate defense of presidential authority. I say something out of the Middle Ages, really, isn't it? And we forget, for all our sciences and our so-called advancement in technology, that the human mind, especially with those who crave power, has never changed at all. To continue, your humble correspondent doesn't know from legal scholarship. He does know this. Seven years ago, when the nation was attacked and Americans wanted to pitch in, wanted to help, wanted to sacrifice, our leaders told us to go shopping. Now, do you remember that? That came out the next day. 
in Canada, Britain, and the U.S. The the tops of certain departments in Canada was Alan Rock, who was the Justice Minister at that time, told us to go out and be patriotic and shop, just shop, 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 and keep the economy going. The same thing happened in the States. We were told to do the same thing. That was being patriotic, go shopping. <clears throat> and we did. Nor scared as we were, eager for the illusion of security as we were, did we look too closely or examine too intently the things that were being done in our names? We became, many of us, expert at ignoring the screams from behind the curtain, discounting the growing mountain of evidence that things were not as we'd been told, brushing off nagging questions about what we've become and how that does not square with what we are supposed to be. We shopped and did not fret over much about the price of our moral relaxity. Maybe that's because the price is paid in tiny increments of our national honour, yet somehow never by those who most deserve to foot the bill. So that seven years later, George W. Bush is still President of the United States, Donald Rumsfeld is working on his memoirs, John Yu is a law professor at UC Berkeley. But Lindy England is a single mother on parole and looking for work, living in a trailer with her folks. And that's a little, a little article there, but it's, it's got a little punch in it because we have to ask ourselves, how come? How come? What, what has degraded society to this extent that people can be made to do these things so easily and actually perhaps even enjoy it? I said years ago that a generation, a generation was growing up being conditioned with military-type indoctrination through video games, which were used for the military. They were, they were invented for military use to desensitize people from horror and the horror of war. And it's been done. We've also had the complete abandonment of all traditional morality. Traditional morality, family community and nation has been under attack for over a hundred years primarily coming out of the culture creation industry as we lap up one movie after another and then emulate what we see we emulate the characters just as we do with music it sinks in it sinks in and we become the, the new culture that we're programmed to be it's not something to be terribly proud of. And they're on a roll, of course, because they must bring a hundred years' war, a hundred years' war, to its culmination. So that maybe one or two, perhaps three, the most generations, which take 30 years as a maximum of functional use within their system, three generations to come to a pre-planned new type of society, a global society that will be so remote in every detail from the present society that those people in the future, if they can think at all for themselves, which is highly unlikely actually, would find it very little to compare with their own in this present one. There'd be no such thing as marriage at all. There'd be no such thing 
is having children because you want to. You'll work and serve the state, and you'll be new types of creatures in 100 years. You wait and see. Shortly they'll be introducing different kinds of humanoids specially designed for specific tasks. And after all, if humanity with all of its flaws and its problems is not worth hanging on to, then there's nothing to fight for. And that really is the big question for those who have woken up. You have to revise everything you ever thought about, everything you ever knew about, and ask yourself, is it worth keeping a hold off or to find an alternate way. We can't go the way that the planners have determined because it's death for most folk. Even if you're still alive, you'll be brain chipped like a zombie. You won't be unhappy because you won't know what unhappiness is. You won't have the ability to even feel unhappy. So we have to really decide what it is we're fighting for and what it's worth fighting for. Now, most of the things that we used to fight for have already been destroyed. To go back 200 years, we find on the list of various manifestos, including the communist one, including the elitist one in Britain, the so-called opposition of communism, they wanted to eliminate the family unit because people stood up for their families, which were the small clans, and they would help each other out, but they definitely stand up for each other. And governments don't like anyone standing up when they go for a target. We have to figure out what is worth saving and what is not, but certainly we must find a new way, a new way. And for all fighting each other, we'll all go down the big whirlpool and down the drain together, as those at the top gleefully watch on. Now I'm going to go to the phones and we'll see who I've got. got Keith from Dallas. Are you there, Keith? Good, Good evening, Dr. White. How are you doing? Um, I'm fine, thank you. If you can hear my daughter, I apologize because she's kind of loud and unvaccinated. <laughs> anyway, Dr. White, I wanted to, uh, I appreciate the conversation you're talking about right now. And I wanted to say that what never occurs to people is that, I remember that Abu Ghraib incident, of course, we, we both know, we saw, everyone saw the pictures. What it never occurs to people is that it could very well be, easily be American. Yeah. That they're doing this too. And that never it never dawned on us, and I just that's what I wanted to call about because my head is about to explode. Just being out here in the land of the dead and blind is so incredibly tasking because it's I can it's hard for me to just lay even a simple thought that I have with just the average person. Yeah, I mean, you should have seen the media. Well, you should have seen the sheep out here that out here in, in North Texas. They were dancing on the fat calf yeah. about a month ago. I'll tell you what to do, uh, Keith. Hold on, and we'll, and we'll talk about this after the okay. break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix here. And we have Keith from Dallas on the line, and you can hear. His frustration as he explains the people around him and how they're reacting or not reacting uh, to the current situations. Uh, go ahead, Keith. Yeah. Okay, thank you again. Um, about a month ago, the media had their usual four-year frenzy with the primaries, and, uh, of course, it was sickening, okay? 
I mean, I wish I would have had time to go to Denton to ask Chelsea just one question like, um, well, you know, since your father was the real butcher of Serbia along with General Wesley Clark as opposed to, you know, the purported butcher Slobodan Milosevic, don't you think your mom is going to slaughter at least four times as many people, especially since she's so much for gun control? And I'm sure I would probably would have been subjected to an incredibly vicious audit by the IRS or whatever, and, you know, we all know how that goes. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of... Or, or worse. Exactly what, yeah. Sir... I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I said, or worse. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Speaking of Bill Clinton uh, and the Kyoto Accord and weather warfare and all the green green, the other night, Dr. Watt, there was an incredibly, um, uh, incredible amount of microbursts all over North Texas. And so that morning when the sun finally came up, the media, of course, had another frenzy with it, and they showed us about a couple of million broken trees, maybe a few turned over cars or whatever. And so after about a good day or so, here comes the clincher. The city of Carrollton is urging its citizens to conserve power. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm telling people, don't you see what's going on? Yeah. And, I mean, this, okay, I was, I was talking to this guy. He's about 56 years old. And we're talking about Charlton Heston. And so they, they run a piece on ABC or one of the shows here, one of the local stations talking about Charlton Heston, and essentially it was about, uh, it looked like they were just advertising, you know, uh, Ben-Hur and Ten Commandments and uh, Planet of the, of the Apes, and then they wanted to, I guess, talk bad about him in, in, in the fashion that they uh, showed, the, the, that they presented the information about him being in the NRA. But my point was there was not one mention about the movie Sonic Green. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. No, it's a bit too close to home, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, and that's what I keep telling people. I'm like, the television, do you know out here in North Texas, well, I don't know if it, I'm sure it's statewide because it's a law, it's going to be a law in February of 2009 that you have to have a digital box or a you know, digital television or you won't be able to kiss the TV signal. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm just asking people, why do you think they're making this a law? Yeah. I mean, it's just like everything else. They, this is the same technique over and over. Once enough people have it, they make it a law. Uh, that's exactly right. And in fact, they're starting too in 2009 in the U.S. that the, the, the Homeland Security has drafted up a whole new bunch of procedures. It's very important because it's called the Western Hemisphere um, Project for Travel for American Citizens. Uh, it also you'll also require permission to leave the country. Never mind get back into the country. And so the, the borders are going to become your, your, your gates, basically, your fences. And I think people should start realizing that they should look at things from every angle and not just the way it's presented to them. Most folks think it's just to do with traveling abroad. It's to get out of the country. If you have to, you can, you can say no. That's right. Yeah. You know, that's something else. All the people around me with their houses, with their flags, and on their cars, and I'm just like, you know, there's not even, a, there is no United States. No. You know, and, and, and another thing, you call yourself a patriot, you can't use the Constitution to defend yourself. Yeah. And then what were you talking about? Well, since you like judge shows so much, why don't you check research a case, part of a fan company versus the mayor and all the of the city of Savannah. And then tell me if you can use the Constitution to defend yourself. And so I'm telling people these things, and I'm just... Well, I, I don't know, a guy at the FBI, um, uh, I mean, training uh, camp or, or place there in the state sent me 
uh, he's a, he trains uh, the FBI's a sergeant there, and he uh, sent me a bunch of stuff that's given to all uh, their officers, including the lower police officers, and it states right on it to, that anyone who's quoting the Constitution is to be regarded as a potential uh, terrorist. Incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess by definition we're all terrorists because we're against global governance. That's exactly right. In fact, that's, that's what was said. Uh, by Kissinger. Kissinger was asked when he was over in, I think, China. He says, you've all heard about uh, terrorism, and he says, we should classify or define how we classify terrorism. He says, in the United States, a terrorist is someone who is anti-globalist. This guy just doesn't go away. How old is he, like 84, 83? Yeah, well, they must keep keep growing him new uh, hearts and lungs and uh, kidneys, I think, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I just one more thing I want to touch. The, the media ran a story out here about how if you refuse. Now I don't advocate drinking and driving. All right, but this this the story itself. The media ran a story talking about if you refuse to take a breathalyzer in the field, that they are going to drag you downtown to take your blood. Mm-hmm. And what they don't tell you in the story, of course, and we all know this, is that if you don't, if you refuse to go downtown, then of course they're going to kill you. Yeah, that's true, oh, yeah. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Yeah, they're and, at least face you a few times, yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's what kills me is how they always show these police after, they, after they've killed someone, and they get paid time off, of course. They show them, on, and then they say something like, well, I had a family to think about it. I had my own family, my family, my family. Mm-hmm. So you killed someone else, you know, never mind the fact that they have a family, never mind the fact that, you know, so it's just, and they also get counselling. They, they get counselling on the taxpayers' expense to help them deal with the, with the, the killing of someone else. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Barnett. It's been great talking to you again. Thanks for calling. And back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. from New York City on the line. Are you there, New, uh, Joe? I am. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I um, have to admit that I'm, uh, I'm newly awakened, uh, and I have to say sheepishly, I guess I liked my life a little bit better before. Yeah. <laughs> I knew of... Uh, Ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> that's what they say. Um, but um, no kidding, though. It's, it's easy for me recently to... Uh, to get, you know, saddened, almost depressed by all this. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't look like anything worth, worth like you open the show with, worth look, looking forward to. Yeah. How do you stay up? How do you not let that get, get down, get you down? It, it's a matter of, of knowing that there's always, there's always hope as long as we can still, some of us can still think and express our views that, that gets through to other people because eventually... You know, waves are formed, big waves are formed from small ones. And all we can do is divert the course we're on. Who knows where we'll go, but we cannot go. We can't go along the one that's been programmed out for us because we know where it's supposed to end up, and we don't want to go there. So as long as there's hope there, we can do something about it. But the problem is 
that everyone individually has to go through their own personal battle because you will go through a circle. You'll, you'll realize that, that the old structures have been almost completely destroyed, not totally everywhere, but mainly destroyed. The bonding between society and members of society has also been pretty well destroyed by design. And we have to try and get some of that back and stop fighting each other to realize that if we're going to come out of this at all, we've got to stand up to it and stand up to the evil that's being done right now in, in many different areas. And believe you me, it's, it's, it's through the school system, it's from kindergarten onwards, it's through the inoculation programs. We have the statistics here. I just read one recently from Utah where the Mormons never had their children inoculated None of them have ever had a case of autism. It's unknown. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's the proof right there. And um, well, we're being from the skies, too, like bugs. And, and we we got to stop all this the scientific uh, tinkering with our bodies because um, it's on a massive scale right now. It is. And uh, it's amazing how, um, you know, I've started to, you know, I, I reverted back. I'm saying to myself... Well, what does, what does, you know, people that uh, I drew inspiration from before have to say about it? And then when you start to read, you start to see kind of a, a pattern of language, and you say, wait a minute, that sounds, that sounds familiar to what I now know. Yes. And then you go and you do some research, and no kidding, you know, one by one, everybody that I've looked up to is, uh, mm -hmm. isn't who I thought they were, and things that I thought were aren't what I thought they were. Yes. I, I, keep, I keep telling people <clears throat> that really in this uh, battle here, you are your own champion. Yeah. They, give, they tend to give us the champions down through history to look up to, and we get led in circles or into the slaughtering pen. And we've got to stop this. We've got to stand up for ourselves. And we have, you see, we have as much right, each individual has as much right to decide the course of the future as the guys at the top who, who, who've already decided they've done it for us. But they can't do it for us. They need, in fact, they need our permission to do anything. Absolutely. And it's time we took that back, that, that right to give them permission to do anything. We've allowed ourselves to be herded and, and uh, with this paternalistic system at the top for far too long. And it's time that we're reminded who they are. And with their own particular scientific religion at the top, uh, that's where you get put on the back burner. Uh, and they, they can give their theories out to politicians if they want but it's time the politicians stopped acting on them as though it was some kind of gospel truth. Absolutely. Well, I've never been one to uh, to uh, back down from a fight, so I'm uh, now knowing what I'm up against. I'm I'm willing to go forward. Yes. And in doing so, uh, trying to you know find ways, make preparations for the difficult times to come, the best I can to protect myself and protect my family. Yeah. But um. You know, you you listen to some people, and they say that you know there's a, there's a, you know that martial law is, is imminent. It's weeks away. Um, you know, listening to you, there's a hundred years war. So you know that makes me think I got some time. Um, I know I'm not going to. I know asking for dates is, a, is something you'd probably <laughs> try to avoid giving specifics on. But how much time do we have? What would you? What, well, we know for how would you think should prepare kind of short term, medium term. The, the think tank. Uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll thank you for taking my call and yeah. uh, for the things you do, and I'll take my answer off there. Okay, yeah, the, the think tanks pretty well all uh, are seeing the same thing. 
that the scenarios that they project with rioting from the public will all start around 2010. Now, it could spark off much quicker, but they're, they're, they, they themselves are, are tossing this 2010 scenario about. And now that the UN has jumped on, the, on its saddle once again, once they've had enough conditioning in the public with the coming food crisis, the UN is now hyping this up as going to be a world disaster unless they get total charge or control of all foodstuffs for the planet. Now, remember, the United Nations, uh, even when it was called the League of Nations, uh, wanted to be the, the distributor to each nation of the food supply, and that would keep the populations in every nation down. You couldn't go above it because you wouldn't get more food. Well, this is all part of the same scenario. Almost 100 years later, where they're pushing the same thing, they want control of all food stuff, and we will be subservient to this world government for our very bread and the water we drink. We're total slaves. Slavery is what it is. And we have megalomaniacs at the top. They, they're born in every generation. We keep seeing Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or Lenin or Napoleon down through history. These characters are born in every generation. And this incredible drive to dominate others is one of the most potent, powerful drives there is for these fanatics. And we've got to realize they have a big club at the top, a world club of all nationalities combined and they've all agreed long ago on this particular agenda. And we have to start exposing it and say, wait a minute, you, you are in your positions on our sufferings, not the other way around. We've got to put them back in our place. Or it's, it's game over for all of us. Now we'll go on to, we have um, Randy from Chicago there. Are you there, Randy? Hello. Hello. Oh, how you doing, Alan? Not so bad. I just had a quick question for you. Um, I was reading about um, Henry VIII, and I was the question jumped out in the back of my head. How does the, did the Catholic? How did the Catholic Church, or do they have any involvement in terms of the concept of being married for life? To be married to the what? Uh, say like a male, female. The, the whole marriage, well, once you're Catholic and you get married, that's it. There is no turning back. How, why, how did that come about? It, it came about because of um, the Catholic Church started off, remember, before it was the Church, as it was already an empire, a, a, a governmental empire. And uh, it married into religion, and then that became predominant. So it, but it still was married to governance, total governance and obedience. And it came out of Rome. Now, in Rome, you had to obey uh, the Caesar. That was just the law. And uh, everybody had to bow down to the law. Now, the Caesar was a god as well. You couldn't break away from that. You couldn't give any kind of feasons to anyone else uh, without um, being killed, in fact. And the Catholic Church, because there was nothing else standing against it after a few centuries, like all institutions, becomes totalitarian in, in, in its methodology. And it wants to protect itself first and foremost. That's what, that's what all governments do. They're not there to serve you. They eventually end up serving themselves and trying to defend and protect themselves above everything. Well, the church was the same. So if you belonged to the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages and you broke away, you were now a heretic. And they could actually execute you um, as a heretic for breaking away from the church at one, one time. 
uh, later on they started to do, to do more excommunications, uh, which just meant that you couldn't get into heaven, any kind of deal. Um, and it also meant you were shunned by your community uh, for a few centuries. That's how that was handled. It still works in some places, yet even in Quebec, people have told me from Quebec they've been excommunicated, and even the local shopkeepers in the community are not supposed to even talk to them or their families. So, you see, all power becomes corruptible after a while, you know. Well, somehow by instituting that law, like I've heard you talk about how the Masons have their, um, I don't know, I guess you could call it a breeding program, and only Mm -hmm. certain Masons can mate with certain women at a certain point. Yeah. But a Catholic, I mean, were there some type of, like, I don't know, breeding program to make sure they kept certain families together or bloodlines? Oh, you'll find every, uh, even within the Catholic Church, they have their own aristocracy, aristocracy as well, or aristocratic families within the Catholic Church. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they're very, very big, wealthy families that have come, come down through the centuries um, working hand-in-glove with the Church. So in every institution, in every country, in every religion, you always have your noble families going along with the particular religion, sure. Um, is there any, um, do you know of any uh, books, old books, that I could look up in terms of to try to find the history of that institution? Because in their own encyclopedia, mm-hmm. they have, they hit the certain things, but then all of a sudden the information just drops off. Yeah, you, you have to go into books, um, and remembering they're, they're all tampered, or else they're, they all, they're all they have their biases as well, and some of them have agendas. But one is called Caesar and Christ by Will Durant. Okay, that's got quite a good history. But again, he admitted at the end, uh, and he, he he did the histories for the Rockefeller Foundation, and part of their purpose was to destroy old religions. And uh, so you have to remember there's a lot of bias there as well, but there's also a lot of truth in how it started up. Okay. Thanks a lot, Alan, and um, thank you for your work, and you stay safe up there. We'll try to, yeah. Well, bye. Thanks for calling. And we've got Smokey from Ohio. Are you there, Smokey? Hello. Hello. How are we doing tonight? We're surviving, yeah. Yeah, sounds like you're a Brit. Yeah. Yeah, I was over in the desert with some of you folks. I enjoyed it. Had good beer most of the time. Too warm, but other than that, it's okay. No. Uh-huh. Are you a uh, are you a psychiatrist or anything? Or a psychologist? Or, did they call you doctor or something? Uh, I get called a lot of things, and and I allow myself to be called anything, including nasty names. Except late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just listened to some of your conversation. I thought I'd get in there real quick. Norman Dodd interview. Expresses what the Ford Foundation and the, the Rockefellers and and yep. the uh, and the Carnegie Institute uh, had in mind on that uh, on that uh, monopoly, okay, mm-hmm. which they've created, yep. and they want it all, you know. And if I print the money, I'm going to have it all, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty simple, I think. Uh, is how the evil has taken over. Yeah. And most of the stuff they seem to be doing to us uh, seems to be behavioral psychology 101. If you look at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what that was. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, they've, they've, we're the most studied species on the planet. Right. We, yeah. We're definitely we're, we're intelligent. We just don't have any wisdom. You know what the the Bible says? Uh, the beginning of wisdom is, don't you? Now go ahead. The fear of the Lord. Yeah, I the fear of the Lord. That. Yeah. 
You know, you know, for not I think in Christ, wisdom you know, also. If, if I think God's wisdom. not going to rule you. You know, you'll be ruled by tyrants. I think one of our forefathers said that, and we weren't paying attention. We still don't seem to be. Yeah, and again, too, you've got to learn to rule yourself as an individual. Absolutely, yeah. You've got to have some self-discipline, and most of us don't. But the problem is, too, the problem is, too, that these characters have studied all cultures, that have, and we all have things in common with other cultures. And if you understand how the cultures work, right. how the if psychology you, you of the, the culture works. Mitchner, I think he went through a lot of those different cultures and how they come about, the religions. And I thought oh, it was yeah. very interesting. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a Mitchner fan, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah. But once and, they, brought, and, and in the the big, once they brought in the big advertising agencies, right. uh, like Madison Avenue, right. uh, and, and they did. The, the foundations brought them on board, and, and uh, many of them talked about doing so back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, then they started to use the same techniques of advertising right, and marketing yeah, ideas into the, uh, your mind. Yeah. Right, the brainwashing techniques used by, uh, actually, Freud was a cokehead. Did you know that? Uh, oh, yeah, I've talked about that many times. Yeah, I didn't know that. And his nephew's actually the one that got the, got fluoride put in the water. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, that? But his other one was a comedian in, in British television. Yeah, just I tell you what, did you ever see the global warming swindle? Well, it's going on right now. No, I mean, the, the BBC did it. Yeah. The Global Warming Swindle, that was the name of it. Uh-huh. It's, have you seen it? haven't seen that one, no. Oh, it's good. I, I think they, how would you put it, they've, they've tried to eliminate it, shall we say? Like they, they'd like to eliminate me? <laughs> well, what <laughs> they, they do, target, what they do is, is they're, they're very legalistic at the top, and they'll show you a truth, and then you won't ever see it again. Well, they don't, they don't want to hear truth, and if, and if you start saying the truth, they usually tell you to shut up, you know, mm -hmm. just keep telling you shut up, and then hang up on you. And I appreciate you. If I'm on this long, it means you, you must be on the same path I'm on, I hope. Mm -hmm. Are yeah. you in Christ, sir? Well, I'd have a different definition from a cultural Christianity. Culture that way. Uh, I, I don't go along. Are you with... born again? You know what I mean by that? I've, I've had my own experiences. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, how can you be born again unless you're dead to sin? You know what I'm saying? Well, most you, of us don't want to realize we're dead to sin. The that most folk are dead because of never being conscious. Well, we're dead to sin. You know, we sin with we think with immunity before we're born again. I think. But and once but you realize all sins, they say most God, people in today's society have never been conscious. They've been brainwashed since birth. Oh, no, no, no. Nobody's yes, born yes, a Christian, yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> Nobody's ever born a Christian. But thanks for calling in. Oh, wait a minute. Well, hold on. Thanks hold for on. calling in. Bye. Yeah, we don't need uh, religious indoctrinations from any particular group. And the problem with most cultural Christians is they, they want you to, to have exactly the same ritual and pattern as they have themselves. And that's the problems with religion. And unless you're identical and with the same formulas, and it's just formulas, uh, they don't hear what you're saying. And what you're saying uh, could be even an early, uh, closer to a truth than they've ever experienced themselves, and it could be closer to the most the more ancient truth because modern Christianity is so remote, especially American Christianity is so remote from early Christianity. The early Christians wouldn't recognise. Uh, this, uh, being in America at all because it's wrapped into a new type of commercialized culture and a completely different system and people were born again long before Christianity came along and that's what people should realize as well it was an ancient ancient saying the born again phenomena 
And it always meant you were born into consciousness, meaning you had to have obviously been dead before. That's what it meant. And that's why it says in the New Testament, let your dead bury your dead, and they're all scratching their heads, and they say, well, what does he mean? It meant that those are like walking around, but they're not really conscious, they're technically dead. Back with more after these messages. folks Alan walked back with cutting through the matrix and when you see how everything meshes together the food crisis is coming up the big food shortages that are coming up I've told you to look into the Royal Institute of International Affairs think tanks that's up on their own sites the, RR, the RIIA look it up and look into their projects on the coming food shortages they've been working on this for a long long time and, of course, many of the members of this institution are also the same members who own the controlling shares in all the big five agri-food businesses. So, in other words, it's a cartel or a, a monopoly, a monopoly, monopoly, many make one. And uh, they've pretty well sewn up the whole world's food supply and given us the Terminator genes and the seeds and so on to try and make sure that we can't even collect our own seeds and sustain ourselves. You can't have people being independent in an interdependent world. What it really means is you'll be on your knees to your lords and masters in this new feudal system unless you do something about it now. Now. Too late shortly, in fact, to do anything about the seeds even. Try and get seeds from people who still have the original seeds. They're still out there unless Monsanto snaps it up and puts a patent on it simply because no one's done it before and then finds you for owning those seeds to have, having them in your possession. Also look into Mark Bard's Parallel Normal website. I was looking into one of the old ones today, May the 2nd, 2007. And it's, the article there is, Prepare to be transitioned into your new habitat. I think I read a bit of it on the air at the time. This is um, one of the backers of the Smart Growth Plans for major cities envisions a global great transition of humans into concentrated population centers. Paul D. Raskin, director of the Boston-based TELUS Institute, that's T-E-L-L-U-S, TELUS, or TELUS perhaps. This is, uh, it says, um, expects people to resist the great transition. So you expect to resist getting moved off your land into these overcrowded cities where the masses will be sustained, supposedly, until they start dying off. Look into that particular article as well, worth reading. Now, for those who write to me and expect personal letters back, I should tell you that I get overwhelmed with, with mail here, a lot of letters and questions and answers and so on, and it's impossible. It would be impossible if I had ten people to, to try and get back to you. It's just too much to go. So, so I read the letters, but... Don't sit there and wait for me to, to answer. I could spend my life doing nothing but answering questions and, and answering the mail. And I think we've got one last caller. Is it Bob from Texas there, is it? Hi, Alan. Uh, hello. Uh, I just thought I ought to call in and uh, remind your previous caller that before you try to take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye, you should get the moat out of your own. That's true. And, you know... Recently, like the first of uh, the first part of January, 
George Bush went to Israel and participated in a Masonic Black Mass in Zedekiah's cave with the head of the Sanhedrin and the top-ranking Jewish officials, and they gave him a parchment that was made from ancient parchment in which they addressed him as the esteemed George W. Bush, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't know where this came from, but is there any proof of it? <laughs> oh yeah, it's on their website. Because I, they generally don't tell you what happens. Malachi Martin mentioned uh, uh, a particular lodge there that people from all parties go, including the ones who are supposedly their enemies. That's it for tonight, folks. Hey, Alan. If you so go from to Hamish Martin. and from Hamish and myself, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.